Welcome everyone to Bearded Wisdom. Sean Reeves here with Heath Morber. Sir. Heath, this is our our final episode. It is. Of Bearded Wisdom. It is. It'll be uh, maybe a surprise to those who uh, just tuned in and didn't hear our, our last one where we said, by the way, I got one more after this, but <laughs> yep. It's been, a, it's been a long, fun ride. But as we're preparing for our final episode, yeah. it made me think of other final episodes. So other things <laughs> that we've seen that, you know, closed off a series. Okay. So there are some, there are some finales that I thought, that was really well done. Mm. And there are others I thought, really? That's what you came up with? Right. So are there are there first are there finales that you thought that was phenomenal? Oh my gosh. I we're talking about shows, yes, TV yeah. shows? Okay, yeah. of course, of course. Well, yeah, absolutely. I would say maybe my favorite finale ever is a show that was run around almost almost 10 years ago now called Parenthood. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, my wife and I loved the original movie with Steve Martin. Yeah. 1989 give or take sure um and they 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 redid the series um and just very touching poignant you know and we were had small smaller children at the time and, and just could identify with so much of it but they really stuck the landing like the last the last episode was just one of my favorites i think one of the most famous finales is probably cheers as well i don't know if you have you ever enjoyed cheers mm-hmm. um but i actually you know how some shows just don't hold up anymore yeah. you know laugh tracks have become a little dated yeah, yeah but i probably went through cheers it was just something i watched as a kid and then went through it again maybe five six years ago and i was like oh this is still really funny yeah. really great characters great show and just a really great finale yeah you know? That was actually the one I was going to bring up is is Cheers because I watched that as a kid, uh-huh. but I never watched the end of it because I think so. It started in the eighties, I think it was like eighty three, uh-huh. and it ended early nineties. And by that point, you know, I think I had I had associated Cheers with like an earlier stage in my human development, and so it was uh-huh. like, yeah, I, Cheers is still around. That's that's funny. Characters have changed and whatnot, but uh, I've got other things going on in life, right? Yeah. And so I never watched the end of it until about two years ago. I was watching, I was streaming it. <laughs> uh-huh. I started from beginning to end. Uh-huh. And when I got to the finale, I was like, that was really well done. Like, I thought they wrapped up all the characters really well. Uh-huh. And um, there really wasn't anything wanting in that. Yeah. Now, there are other series that I've watched, finales, that I thought, that's that's what you went with? <laughs> I'm going to probably ruffle your feathers here. Uh-oh. Careful. But I did not like the Seinfeld ending feathers not ruffled at all i was that was actually the one i was going to say first one that pops to mind first one that pops to mind was the seinfeld finale now do you remember where you were like i don't know if it was it was such a cultural touchstone uh no i don't i don't have i don't have i don't think it rocked my 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 sense of security that much well so i mean sean a lot of i think youngsters don't understand when the the tv world was restricted just a handful of channels usually and there were certain shows that we all watched together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, Thursday, 8.30, let's go. You know, everybody pile in front of the TV. And then there was always, ideally, you know, one that when you got into high school, it's like, hey, I'm going to go over to so-and-so's house and, and watch it. I would say the last show like that around, I, I know Game of Thrones was kind of like that. Yeah. A lot of people, you yeah. know. But in the era of, you know, hey, Netflix came out with a new series and all 10 episodes are ready to go. You know, mm-hmm. it was never, you know, you didn't have that week in between. To right, right, yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember getting together with a lot of friends uh, for the Seinfeld finale. All of us had watched it for years. It's going to be a big it. thing for you guys. You gotta yeah, yeah. Have this, have this wonderful moment together. I know. And we were all like, 
Really? Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> now, so, Sean, I don't know if this is up to your taste, but there is a show um, by Larry David called Curb Your Enthusiasm. I've heard of it, yeah. I've it's never seen like it. Seinfeld, but HBO. So, I mean, sure, it's, sure, you know, sure, it's, yeah. it's certainly more... Um, edgy yeah yeah. but they had a season where i think it was kind of a corrective to that where larry larry david said we're going to round up the seinfeld four and they had a season based around uh, like a seinfeld reunion Mm -hmm. and so you can go online and you can find they sort of pasted a bunch of the scenes together and you can kind of see a different sort of finale, which I think everybody was like oh that's what it should have been yeah that's what it should have been oh okay well that's that's neat yeah Yeah. I, i don't have many modern shows that i've seen the finale to because most of the things i'm watching now like they're still happening they, they don't have they haven't come to a conclusion yet uh-huh. other than so i watch all of Schitt's, Schitt's creek uh-huh. which again i'm not swearing s-c-h-i-t-t two, two t's and it's someone's name it's the name of the town <laughs> yes okay. yeah i and that that one was i thought it, I, I thought it was well done i uh-huh. thought the conclusion was was, was fine uh-huh. it wasn't it wasn't like super disappointing but it also wasn't super surprising either mm-hmm. you know it kind of had a logical conclusion. Community, I watched all of Community, uh-huh. and that kind of fell apart before it got to the finale. <laughs> so, but yeah. but most of the other things I'm watching are like you know on Disney Plus, like Marvel things and Star Wars things. They're, mm. they're still they're still making those. Now I do have an in between for you though. Okay. So I've got <laughs> there was one series that I loved, and um, it's got it's got a season finale, or a series finale that was really well done. Okay. And a serious finale that was, eh. All right. How is that possible to have both? <laughs> because originally it was slated for eight seasons. And so at the end of the eighth season, there was this masterful two-part finale. It was perfect. And then it unexpectedly got extended for two more seasons. So then they had to, like, scramble and make up a whole new plot line and everything like that. Invent new characters. <laughs> you're, you're killing me. What show? Stargate SG One. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Stargate. science fiction. Yep, yep, yep. I so, have done so. Anyway, the the final the the, the, the end of season ten, <laughs> I was like, uh, you should have stuck with just season eight. My dear listeners, I've tried my best over these four years to minimize the talk of science fiction on this pod, and <laughs> Sean sneaks in a curveball the very last episode on me. That's right. That's uh, right. Last thing I'll say is that um, I'm very curious about a series finale coming up in about two weeks from when we're recording this. Shannon and I love a show called This Is Us. Oh, At the very sure, least, sure, yeah. you, you've probably mm-hmm. seen, you've probably seen uh, some previews for it. It's really a fabulous show, and so they are coming down to to the end. So I hope they don't, hope they don't mess it up. <laughs> and we'll probably be grandparents by the time The Simpsons has a, a series finale. Oh, I can't believe that show is still going. Is My it gosh. like it's almost forty years now, right? Well, it's 30, 30 years, right? Thirty, yeah. early nineties, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I remember I was. Re- a watcher for the first four or five seasons and then I went to college and that was it. And that's insane. 20 years later, I'm like, wait, they're still going with this? What? I know. I read an article the other day that said, it hypothesized Simpsons may not ever end. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, friends. That was the last bit of banter you're ever going to get. So we're going to talk about our topic today. Sean, I was thinking the other day, um, as we're talking about our last topic. Um, we're going to, we're going to use the title of the podcast is going to be the W's of evangelization. Okay. Um, and I thought about it because here at the, at the U of I, you know, we're both undergrads here and we, we certainly remember our share of people preaching on the quad and whatnot. Right. Well, Mm -hmm. my, uh, my daughter got a little taste of, um, 
college evangelization, she was walking around with a friend. Now, my daughter just turned 16, so they were just sitting on the quad chatting, and a couple young ladies, you know, um, looking prim and proper, walked up to them and wanted to talk to them a little bit about about Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And so eventually, I think it, you know, I think one of them just asked them both head on, like, do you believe in Jesus? And my daughter, being a good Catholic, said, yeah, you know, but maybe like, where's this going? <laughs> and so her friend, do you believe in Jesus? Kind of. <laughs> uh, I was like, okay, what happened next, right? I mean, how, where do you go from that? But the whole thing was a kinda. little... Kind of. <laughs> a little awkward from there. But um, yeah, so I thought we would talk through just sort of the uh, some of the basics of evangelization. And hopefully we can... Uh, impart some some of our bearded wisdom to our, our, our folks over time so um, our last drops that's right that's right <laughs> so uh the uh, one of the church documents we use i think it's the general directory on catechetics um it, it laid out the definition of evangelization a process by which the church moved by the spirit proclaims and spreads the gospel throughout the entire world now sean you kind of blew my mind it's probably been two years now, but we, mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what the topic was on, but you, you talked about the original context for, for that Greek word. Um, and I'll, I'll get to that just in a second, but, um, euangelion, mm-hmm. if, if I'm saying that, that correctly is where we get the word evangelization there. And so many of, many folks know, uh, EU, the U, um, is sort of a prefix that means good. And then the second part, angelion, uh, should also sound familiar. It's where we get the word angel, right? And so angels are messengers, right? So, ba- you know, the word euangelion means good news, right? Or a good message. Uh, we directly translate that into English as gospel, which kind of came from a more old English root, but also translate to good news or good story. Mm-hmm. And also for us, you know, um, children of the 70s and 80s, the the musical Godspell was a big thing for a right. long, long time. Right, and yeah. that was sort of the original way to say gospel, mm-hmm. Godspell. And so, Sean, one verse, I think, from the Bible really sort of elucidates some of that original context too. So Isaiah 62, and then quoted by Paul in Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, mm. right? So um, you had mentioned, so I, and... Um, so I won't take credit for this, but <laughs> afterwards, you know how sometimes you hear something for the first time, then all of a sudden you hear it everywhere. You're like, oh my gosh, how did I miss this? <laughs> but you had talked about how the the uh, Evangelion was uh, a message of victory. Usually there'd be like, if there was a, a great battle and and uh, the good guys won, right? Yeah. You would send a herald back who, right. who retreats and and maybe the city, you know, who's, who's set up and you've got somebody on the lookout and they see this herald come and he presents the euangelion, the good news of, of victory, mm-hmm. right? Um, reminds me so much, Sean, um, on Easter Sunday, we always sing uh, the Easter sequence called the Victime Pascali Laudes. And um, it's just this beautiful poem that's it's centuries old, but it has this great line, I'll just put it in English, um, where it talks about basically Jesus dueling with you know, with the devil in a manner of speaking, death and life fought bitterly for this wondrous victory. The prince of life who died reigns glorified, right? So it just talks about the, uh, 
this battle going on between good and evil and Jesus wins, you know? And so the next part of that poem is the disciples reaching out and saying, Mary, what did you see along the way? She mm. talks about seeing the risen Lord. Uh, so Mary is the one who brings that uh, euangelion to, to mm-hmm. the apostles, you know, yeah, after yeah. she sees the risen Lord. So, um, but Sean, that just how that word is used in um, the gospel the biblical authors had to know of that original context, right? So why would this word be used by the authors of the Bible rather than maybe something else, you know, with a different shade of meaning? Well, I think a lot of people learned in the impression that, you know, when you when we when we read certain words in Scripture that are repeated and, and they, they're somewhat synonymous with what it means to identify as a Christian, we think, well, the, the, the apostles invented these terms, right? The apostles came up with this and this is how they, 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 they projected the gospel, right? But that's not really historically accurate they a lot of the terms that we that we associate with basic gospel language were terms already well known in greco-roman culture you know for example the terms there are two terms in greek that we translate as sin in english and one is hamartia Mm -hmm. which is which is kind of characteristic of of greek tragedies so uh, a greek tragedy would be would be identified with a hamartia which means like missing the mark Right. Mm-hmm. And the other is uh, anomia, which is li- literally means lawlessness. Right. Mm. So this is something they would have already known. So when they when they talk about about what we identify as sin, they're using terms that are already familiar to that culture. So they have a way to evangelize. them. So they have a way in. Right. Right. Um, uh, similarly, when, when we look at the different offices that are in the church um, that are explained by St. Saint, Saint Paul in his letters to Timothy Titus, things that we well, in John's letters too that we translate as a presbyter or bishop today, those, those, were, those were civil offices known in mm. the culture of that time. And they just said, well, those best identify what these people do within our community. So we're just going to adopt those. So again, when they're spreading the good news, when they're spreading this message of victory, they're going to use language that their audience is going to identify with. People already know what a euangelion is. So they're going to call it a euangelion, right? People already know what a soter is savior in english so they're going to call jesus a soter in the context of that euangelion and i'm not saying that they they didn't believe jesus to be a savior what i'm saying is that that term was particularly appropriate not only for their own individual faith but for the potential faith of their audience because it was a term that would resonate with them the the soter the savior was the one that the euangelion was about and one little correction the word evangelization we ultimately get from a, a, a Latinized version of the Greek euangelizumai. Uh, euangelizumai is the the verb of the mm. action of spreading the euangelion. Gotcha. So so evangelization is the action of spreading that 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 good news. So they're using these terms that are going to be familiar and resonate with them, so that they can more easily um, adapt the gospel to the audience. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. So that's the what. That's the what of evangelization. How about the who? And I think this is important for our, our listeners to take on the who, who does the evangelization. That's us, folks. <laughs> right. Through our through our baptism, um, we are called to spread the good news. Now, it, it obviously takes on a different form nowadays. and We'll, we'll talk about that in a bit, because you can imagine that that great commission that that Jesus gave right before he ascended. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, right? So that go and make disciples, go spread that good news. That was a very different 
set up back then when just a few hundred people maybe really knew and followed Jesus. And then to think of, okay, now we have to go to foreign lands who've truly never heard of him. You know, we live in a very different milieu <laughs> in our 21st century, I would say, um, of sort of the general Christian messages out there, even if it's been skewed or poo-pooed or, or ignored or whatever. But, you know, almost everybody we encounter on the street has at least heard of Jesus, right? So sometimes that, that good news has to, you know, maybe change the delivery, let's say, somewhat. But absolutely, it's, it's something that we have to reckon with. It's not something we can pull it off to others. I know that maybe this is just, um, you know, overstatement, but certainly I would say when Catholicism was kind of the, the main gig in town, let's say, in a different part of the 20th century, you know what I mean? First half, maybe even into the 50s, and especially here in America, where it's just like, you know, our churches are full, got plenty of priests, got plenty of nuns, you know, the thought of being able of going across the street to your Protestant neighbors and actually saying, I want you to be Catholic. I don't know that it, that really was something that was done a lot. And mm-hmm. if anything, I think that many lay people said, well, that's why priests go to seminary mm-hmm. to, to, you know, to answer those questions and bring people in. And, and it was something that like the, the people in, in funny dress did the priests and nuns. Well, they're the ones that, that'll bring people in, but I think we're really feeling the effects of that now as our churches are not full and, sad to say, Sean, that actually the church I worked at before I got here, um, St. Emmerich, got news recently they're going to be closing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, big blow to that community, of course. Um, But we're just kind of reaping what we've sown or didn't sow, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think we've been so wary of being (laughs) like our maybe Mormon brothers and sisters or Jehovah's Witness who knock on our door on Saturday mornings, like the idea of being one of those you know, one of those folks that, you know, bounce around and try to save you feels so distasteful to us Catholics, especially. Um, but that's a long way of saying folks is on us. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> For sure. Now, how about the why, Sean? A number of religions have, I've noticed, have little interest in actively converting people to their faith, right? Why does Christianity put such an emphasis on evangelization? Oh, well, Jesus said to you. Great. Next question. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, <laughs> so obviously that's the short answer, right? The the, the long answer is that um, I think Christianity has a more universal outlook than a lot of other religions. So when you look at um, a, a lot of archaic religions or, or, or older organized religions, um, there, there's kind of this mixture of theism and nationalism. Right. Mm, um, mm-hmm. So, for example, there's a lesser known religion called Zoroastrianism, which originated in Persia, modern day Iran. And um, they have a lot of similarities with Christianity. Um, there's kind of a, a, a good evil dualism within it. It's a bit different because they, they also the, the way they view the supernatural is a bit different than, than us. The dualism mm-hmm. proceeds into into the, the cosmos above, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but they, they're not very keen on evangelizing <laughs> is kind of like it, if you want to become a Zoroastrianism, a Zoroastrianist, is that how you say it? <laughs> then that's fine. Um, but they don't go out and convert people. And in some places, it's actually not even permitted because they, they associate so much with, well, this is the message given to us, right? This is, this is for us. And it, not in the sense that like, we don't, we don't think that uh, you should have it, but like, we don't have a right to pass it on to anyone else. This is, 
it was given to us, right? Yeah. Which, in a certain sense, if you look at ancient Jude- Judaism, there are certain stages where that's the attitude there too, right? Right. Well, God selected us, and so like, it's our obligation to work out our, our religious problems. But you don't you don't need to you don't need to worry about that, right? So so some religions actually do feel like, well, this is our property, and you don't have a right to it. But a lot of times it just doesn't occur to them to pass it on because it's it's kind of like, well, this is what was presented to us for our times and our purposes, right? Mm-hmm. Christianity has a completely different tone in the sense that it it perpetuates Jesus saying, no, this is for all mankind, right? Yeah. So go everywhere and do this because this is a message of transformation and liberation, not just for you few people, right. but for all of humanity. And so I think that's probably the, the most critical reason why Christianity is different uh, as compared to these others is because we feel like, the implications of our doctrines, the implications of our faith have an impact on everyone who's human, uh, not just people in a certain region or a certain place or a certain time. Right. Yeah. Okay, Sean, let me throw another another one at you. I'm going to cheat a little bit with the W's. Okay. okay. So we're going to talk about the how. There's a W at the end, so we'll, <laughs> we'll make that work. Okay. Sean, people often have something specific in mind when they think evangelization. And I know we even get some raised eyebrows when we invite some of uh, some students into our evangelical Catholic program, they're like, does that mean I need to stand on a box on the quad? Right, right. <laughs> right? Um, but you would say, you had pointed out to me that evangelizing takes a few different forms in the New Testament. Can you walk us through those, please? Yeah, so I, I would agree with you to begin with that. So I, I was, I grew up evangelical. I grew up non-denominational mm-hmm. evangelical. And, you know, I, I'd, I'd go on, on uh, mission trips, which is basically like, contact evangelization where you walk up to strangers and you know you 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 tell them kind of a a a, a truncated kerygma right mm-hmm. you know, that you know kerygma pro- proclamation jesus died for you you know um i mean it often includes <laughs> in a sense saying well there's a there's a reason you need jesus we don't really want to use this icky word called sin but like that's that's real and you have it and we we we, we need to uh talk about resolving that which is probably the reason why so many people kind of shy away from evangelization because they feel like, I don't know how to evangelize without accusing someone of something. Right. Um, and so I, you know, just to be transparent, I was a lot uncomfortable with contact evangelization at that time too, because I was 15. Oh my goodness. You know, and, and not very experienced with, you know, life. Um, but also I think I had an inkling of something that, that, that now I have a deeper awareness of, I, I would I would advocate that probably in the Catholic tradition that the two biggest modern documents to rely upon in respect to what evangelization is, how do we go about it, what what what's the what what are the the, the modes of it, would be more recently Pope Francis's apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, um, joy of the gospel, but but a little bit before that Paul the uh, apostolic exhortation Evangelii Nutiandi on the evangelization of, in the modern world. And I'm going to mostly rely on that. So you gave a one um, definition of evangelization, but I, I can't really fully answer your question without going into Paul VI's definition. Go for it. And he says this, For the church, evangelizing means bringing the good news into all the strata of humanity and through its influence, transforming humanity from within and making it new. And he, then he adds... What Jesus says in Revelation, now I'm making the whole of creation new. So th- this notion of bringing the good news to all strata of humanity and transforming humanity from within, making it new. And when he goes to, 
to then say, how do we do this? He begins with witness of life. He doesn't begin with a proclamation. Now, later on, he will say, the good news proclaimed by the witness of life sooner or later has to be proclaimed by the word of life. But he says there are other things that precede it. And we see this active in the scriptures, particularly in the Acts of the Apostles. So you notice when, um, when St. Peter evangelizes, he often has these great speeches in the Acts of the Apostles. Mm-hmm. Those speeches are typically an aftermath of something else that comes before it. So, for example, Pentecost happens, right? Um, and the people, it says they're cut to the heart and they come and ask Peter, what should we do? And then he tells them as a response, this is what you should do, right? Um, in the next chapter, in chapter 3, he heals this um, uh, crippled man, right? But you know, you notice he doesn't actually evangelize him with words. The guy comes up to him and says, hey, he's look, actually looking for money. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and it's funny because, uh, Peter says something that is a little bit jarring at first. He says, look at us. <laughs> I, I guess as if to say, like, do we look like we have money? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So he comes up to us. Uh, when this man saw Peter and John about to enter into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him as a John and said to him, look at us. He looked at them at- attentively, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have neither silver nor gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. Peter grasped them by the right hand and helped him to get up. Immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. Anyway, he, 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 he rejoices and Peter just kind of goes on. Right? <laughs> Later on, people realize what's happened and they come to Peter and then, and then he gives his kerygma. Right? Mm-hmm. So there are a number of occasions in which you see that Peter's witnessing through acts of kindness, acts of charity, miracles, right? Or responding to something else the Holy Spirit has done as a precursor to then giving a evangelizing kerygma, right? So I think a lot of us, we think, when we think of the word evangelization, we immediately think, well, I have to be a contact evangelist, right? Mm-hmm. I have to be like 15-year-old Sean and go up and give people a little cross and say, Jesus loves you, you died for your sins, say the Jesus prayer with me and, and repent right now. And there are occasions for that. You see Stephen do that, that, you know, Stephen and the Acts of the Apostles, that's pretty much the first thing he does. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunately, it's also the last thing he does too. So <laughs> I should laugh at that, but yes. yes. But, but, but I, yeah, so that's not to say that there's always the outcome that you expect. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's a place for that, but sometimes that has to come after something else. So Pope Paul VI also said in this apostolic exhortation, modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers. And if he does listen to teachers, it is because they are witnesses, right? Mm-hmm. So in two occasions in this, in this apostolic exhortation, he says like, there's a primacy of witness of life. And there's a primacy of witness of life because people um, need to have the opportunity to ask questions, right? So um, I guess that's my second thing, not only having witness of life as a model of evangelization, but use, utilizing people's inquisitiveness after examining your witness of life. Again, another thing that precedes actually saying anything, right? Because what will happen, this is what he says. Look, he says, if you get a group of Christians and you, show, and you have them show the capacity for understanding and acceptance, a, a solidarity with whatever is noble and good, and then they radiate this faith and values, he says, 
Through this wordless witness, these Christians stir up irresistible questions in the heart of those who see how they live. Why are they like this? Why do they live in this way? What or who is it that inspires them? Why are they in our midst? Such a witness is already a silent proclamation of the good news and a very powerful and effective one. Here we have an initial act of evangelization, right? So sometimes we don't give people the opportunity to ask the questions. We want to throw the answers at them before it even occurs yeah. to them to ask mm-hmm. the questions, right? And sometimes we need to give people that freedom and that time, which requires patience on our part, to come to the place where the questions are important to them. Because again, as he said before, people more willingly listen to witnesses than to teachers. If we immediately try to teach them the gospel when they're not ready for it, we, we, might, we might sever a stage necessary for them to have real transformation, right? Because what do we say evangelization is ultimately about? Transformation, internal transformation, right? Mm-hmm. Transforming humanity. And that often cannot be really absorbed within until the questions of faith become important to, to, that, to that individual. You even see this kind of like in Philip um, in Acts chapter 8, right? Um, there's this Ethiopian eunuch. And um, the Ethiopian eunuch is, is traveling with the Candace, who's the, the queen of Ethiopia, and he's reading the book of, the, of Isaiah. And um, it's interesting. This is one of the few occasions where you see the Holy Spirit's personally active, telling someone something and directing somebody. Mm-hmm. And it says the, the Spirit urged him, right? And he goes up and he asks the eunuch, um, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless somebody teaches me? Right. And what, how, how does that end up? The eunuch converts, accepts the gospel and is baptized. Why? Because he had the freedom to first be, be inquisitive. He had the freedom to first ask questions. Right. So and then guess, Philip disappears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just gone. Right, away. right, right. right. <laughs> what happened here? So, so you even see in the Pentecost events, that also begins with a question. I, I, people, people might miss this, but, you know, the apostles are overwhelmed with the power of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're, they're speaking in tongues. And somebody in the audience asks, what does this mean? Right? Only after he says, what does this mean, does it say Peter got up and explained, well, the prophet Joel prophesied about this. This well, is happening. Well, you're dropping out the part where they were accused of drunkenness. Right? Well, that, yeah. So the, the, that, that all is, it's the same line. It's like, yeah. what does this mean? And then it said, others thought they were drunk. Yeah. So, yeah. Drunk on new wine or something like right, that. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah. Peter's like, this is not the time to be drinking right now. Right. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Right. right. But um, he obviously he's never been on a college campus. So. <laughs> Official St. Patty's Day. <laughs> oh my gosh. So anyway, yeah. So a lot of times uh, evangelization happens because people have the opportunity to um, ask questions. And then the third thing I will say um, is that also there is the understanding how to interact with all the strata of humanity. There's a Pauline story of Paul in Athens, right? Paul gets really, really irritated that there are all these, these, these temples and statues of, of pagan gods, right? And so he starts debating with people, and it's not working out. So finally the people, they, they say, listen, we're not convinced, but come back tomorrow. We'll talk more. Well, something happens, something transpires between the time that he's really agitated and, and really trying to argue against them and the next day, because he comes back the next day, and he capitalizes on something that 
is apparent to their culture. He sees the statue dedicated to the unknown God. And he says, what you worship unwittingly, I proclaim to you now. Or what you worship unknowingly, mm. I proclaim to you now, right? So again, what is he doing? He's engaging all strata of humanity, right? Um, he tried cramming it down their throat, and that didn't really work, right? <laughs> so what he did, he shifted, and he said, okay, well, look, um, in, in his first letter of the Corinthians, he talks about being all things to all people, right? So right now, you know, in there, he says, you know, I learned to be weak to the weak. You know, I, I learned to be um, a Jew to the Jews, a Gentile to the Gentiles. So I'm going to do that right now. And there's something good that I can capitalize on, right? You have an inkling of something that is noble. So I'm going to take what's noble and I'm going to explain it to you why it could have another context, right? Mm -hmm. And so again, only after that, then does he make momentum, right? So I would say these, these are the three things that sometimes are early modes of evangelization before you even get to the proclamation overtly. Great, Sean. I'm going to piggyback off some of that there because the next W is, is when, right? So you were kind of hinting around that, you know, it's not always the time you think of that contact evangelization and, and somebody on their way to, to sociology class. I don't know. Is that really the time, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. So, so the when I'm going to sh I'll share an anecdote when I was doing a little bit of grad school after college, um, young twenties, kind of that, early 20 zeal, you know, that we often, that we often have. And, oh my gosh, I'm on fire, ready to, ready to convert the world. Remember, uh -huh. you know, yeah. And I have, I have some dear, dear friends from uh, earlier in school and, and uh, still remain close with them, but many of them are not practicing any childhood faith they have and, and very different from where I was, let's say. And I remember talking with one of my professors after class, you know, um, I think it was an intro to theology class or something like that. And I remember saying, what is the, what's the, what's like the argument that I can use <laughs> to prove that there's a God who loves them? You know what I mean? I got these friends and, and I remember he hesitated and he said, he said, the best thing you can do is to keep loving them right now. And he said, maintaining that trust, that communication. And someday when they are struggling in their marriage or encountering something, you know, a hardship of some sort, then they're going to say, I think Heath might have some answers for me, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. You know what I mean? And that was not a satisfactory answer to me when I was 23 years old. I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> no, no, no. You're, you don't understand what I'm asking here, right? And, but he, he really did, you know? And, and I remember Monsignor Swetland gave similar advice around that same age. You know, I, uh, I was asking about a situation that I might have to put myself in and I, you know, had a hard time reconciling that with my, with my faith, but I knew that if I did not, you know, go along with whatever it was, then it would, might be the end of a friendship, you know? And yeah. I said, I, I'm not quite sure what to do here. And, and he said, not speaking exactly to the situation, but he said, I just encourage people to, to maintain the relationship. You know what I mean? Cause once that's cut off, you know, once you sever that, then I don't care how great the news is, it's not going to be heard. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the win, <laughs> some of those, some of those people, I'm still waiting for the win. You know what I mean? We've been friends for 25 years and, and others I have had been reached out to and, and have been able to talk through some things and mm -hmm. it's been so rewarding. And, 
Um, I think the thing to remember, though, when we talk about the win and we, and we work on our, our evangelical Catholic kids when we, when we do um, our training groups is that it's important to be ready. You know, um, Peter says in his letter, always be prepare, prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you mm-hmm. and to do it with gentleness and respect. So we think about what is this hope within me? It's just good sometimes to formulate that. Well, what is it? So we talk about elevator pitches, right? You know, what are the, if somebody saw me in an elevator and said, hey, I see a cross around your neck. What's the deal? What's the deal? Who is that guy? You're a Christian, huh? What's, what's, what's your story about that? You know, and, and you've got about 45 seconds before you get to the 19th floor and it's like, uh, I, I don't know. I just grew <laughs> right. up that way, you know? And, yeah. Um, but being able to take the time in prayer and saying, what's my story? What, what are the, what are the moments in my own life that have, have, you know, shape me into the Christian that I am today, you know, where do I see the Holy Spirit has intervened? Where do I see that Jesus has showed me his love and mercy? And how can I share that with somebody that's going to resonate with them in some fashion? And then I know a prayer that very effective evangelists I've met have have said is, okay, Lord, put somebody in my path. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Put somebody on, I feel that I'm ready to share that hope that's, that, that's within me. So whether it's at a restaurant or, you know, even my men's group with other Christians, you know, um, wherever it may be, you know, put me in a situation where I can share and that I can, and that I can hear somebody else and I can hear those questions as you were, as you were saying. So um, bottom line, w- when's the win? Whenever the time comes, <laughs> be ready kind of thing. So yeah. yeah. Okay, Sean, those are the W's. Um, how about we just end? I had asked you to come up with um, a few characteristics of an effective evangelist. And I said we both come up with three. I've got a fourth just in case we have some overlap, because I think we will. <laughs> some of the things you've been saying, I'm like, oh, I bet he's going to steal that one from me. So I'll even let you start. Okay. Qualities of an effective evangelist. So I, I think the first would just be, well, let me preface this by saying, you know, oftentimes I think people feel pressure when especially when they become a christian like oh okay so now i have this obligation that i have to like you said go preach on the quad and Mm -hmm. i have to i have to go have the perfect answer in the elevator you know like you said and things like that so i i think maybe to um disarm some people's anxieties a little bit the first thing i just say is that you're able to be a witness of the father's love everyone who's experienced that can do that Right. And all that all that means is that that you have an appreciation that uh, the father in heaven has intentionally created you so that he may love you and persist in loving you. Right. And then that has the implications in other things that you experience within the life of the church. Right. So that's something that uh, you can witness just by being yourself, just by having the joy of the things you've received. Um and that in itself can prompt those questions that other people might have, right? Yeah, yeah, great. Sean, my first one, and this has been talked about quite a bit by Pope Francis, is just being joyful, mm. <laughs> right? I, I think I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but, you know, something like, God God save us from dour Christians. Yeah. <laughs> um, and gosh, we've got so many people in our, our life like that, often in our parish, where I'm just like, are you... Why you look like you're always having a bad day, <laughs> you know, but there's something about, there's something very contagious and infectious about somebody 
and and I don't want to I don't want to use it just as a synonym for happy because you know um, we would say that you can be joyful and and be, and be having a bad day. You can you know absolutely uh, can have joy without happiness sometimes. But uh, being able to radiate um, that joy, which is you know one of the things that one of the fruits of the spirit, right? I think that's really key. And I think about you were talking about earlier about I remember asking questions of people or or of people that I witnessed and I was like, I don't know what's going on with them, but I want in, mm. you know what I mean? Mm. That this Christian thing, this is how it should look, you know? Um, and it really usually started with joy mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. 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 What's your second pal? So my second dovetails with this one. So, you know, again, I, I began talking about uh, how sometimes the precursors to that overt evangelization has to begin with the witness of life. So witness of the father's love is one side of that. But the other side is that you have a story of transformation, liberation that's that deserves to be told, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the second thing, just that that you ha- that you have a willingness to share a story of spiritual liberation, right? So every one of us has been liberated from something through Christ, right? Uh, some people have more extreme stories than than others. I remember there's a there's a, a famous uh, a Christian comedian. He was talked about how. Um, you know, they're these, these hip young pastors and, um, they always have this dramatic story. You know, they got the tattoo that they got in prison and then they have the story about how they, you know, they, they got clean and off their drugs and got out of prison. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't offend anybody, but what, what he was, what he was trying to poke fun at is the fact that like some people have some pretty dramatic transformations. Mm-hmm. Other people have less dramatic ones, but that's okay. Like you don't have to have this, this massive trial to have a, a worthy and valid story of transformation and liberation. There are little things in life that probably if you, if you had some introspection and looked at, evaluate, okay, how am I different today than I was before I received the gospel or before I had kind of a, a, a rebirth of my faith as, as an adult, there, there are, there are all, all, all kinds of habits that maybe that you've been freed from, or at least have become easier to cope with mm-hmm. or, you know, other things in your life in which you've seen your life steered in a different direction that you would not have placed yourself in uh, autonomously. And you see God's hand in that. There's a story of transformation. It's a story of liberation. So that's my second one. Great. My second, Sean, um, echoes what you had said earlier, and I'm so glad you said it because we tend to say, you know, hey, let me proclaim to you. Let me impose this upon you. Where you talked about the importance, uh, I think uh, Paul VI had talked about um, which is the willingness to listen. That's, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that's my second one. And we all go through this life understanding about maybe a fraction of 1% of everything around us. I don't know anything about upper level physics. You know what I mean? And <laughs> I, I've got a million questions. Sometimes there's subjects I'm like, I don't know anything about it. And I don't care to. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. But when we talk about something that when somebody gets really excited about a topic, we love we love to hear them talk about it, but we also want to interject and say, well, let, let me let me bend your ear a little bit. And for something as important as um, union with God, our eternal destiny, people are going to have questions, you know. And I remember an apologist saying once, it's okay to not always know the answers. You know what I mean? That we that we can actually get a lot farther by saying, that's a great question. I can just give you what I know, and then. I say I'll march you down to Sean Reeves' office for you know the full <laughs> answer, but um, that that willingness to meet someone where they are—I I, I can't say I love that phrase, but but it, it, it's sure. true. It, sure. It's true, you know. 
um, to, to have an open ear and have the time and the patience to say, what do you got? I can share, I'm going to share what I got, even if I don't have all the answers, but this desire to know that person and not just be somebody that you can mark off. There's another one saved, Lord, you're welcome. You right, know? right. Yeah. 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 That is really important to not make people a project because mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, I, this is not to disparage uh, any other denomination or any other Christian organization, but, you know, I've been involved with certain organizations that have come off to me like our, our leadership training is, is turning people into projects, right? That, that mm-hmm. you know, our, our goal is numbers and, and, and we need to convert as many people as possible and we need to use whatever methods uh, are available to us, which sometimes feels manipulative to me. Yeah. And I think people pick up on that. So you're, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Making sure that, that we don't fall into that trap and that, and that connection is paramount. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What's your third, pal? Okay. So my third is maybe something that requires slightly more maturity than the other two, which is not meant to be intimidating, but just to recognize that this might be something that initially, um, you wouldn't say, oh yeah, I identify with that. But as you've grown prayer and faith, you might feel like, oh yeah, okay, that's where I am. And that's comfort with the Holy Spirit and particularly comfort with the way that the Holy Spirit prompts us. So Paul VI in that apostolic exhortation also talks about how evangelization often has to take on adaptations, right? So he says, evangelization involves an explicit message adapted to the different situations constantly being realized, right? So adapted to different situations, right? And so I sometimes... <laughs> like you were kind of alluding to before, we want a formula. This mm-hmm. is the formula I apply in every scenario, in every circumstance, <laughs> right. and is 100% effective, Sure. right? That's not reality. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's not re- reality is because humans aren't cookie cutter organisms, right? That every different personality is going to respond to different things. Uh, people in different circumstances will respond to different things, right? And again, going back to the Acts of the Apostles, you see so many times... It says the Holy Spirit urged him to do this or the Holy Spirit told him to do this. And it's different than what the Holy Spirit said in a different occasion, right? So the apostles um, and and others that they appointed, like the deacon Philip from Acts chapter 8, they had enough comfort with the Holy Spirit that they they trusted the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And they were humble enough to recognize, okay, well, that's not how I would do it, but I guess I'll go with it, right? And so what that also means is an expectation that is not all on your shoulders, the Holy Spirit is the principal witness of the faith, mm-hmm. right? Which means the Holy Spirit is the principal evangelizer. So we take a partnership with him, but we need to take his lead, right? And so that, what that means is sometimes when we're really, really eager about something, that may not be the right thing if the Holy Spirit gives us promptings away from that, right? Yeah. And we might have really strong urges to do something because it makes us feel good about ourselves or, well, that's what you're supposed to do, Right. But we have to prayerfully recognize, is this actually genuinely what the Holy Spirit wants me to do? Or is he veering me in a different direction? And there might be some occasions where you suddenly feel an impulse to do something that is not not ordinary for you, right? Um, And you might even have a little bit of lack of courage (laughs) in respect Mm -hmm. to that, right? Um, So it goes in both directions, right? Not being foolhardy in things that the Spirit's not leading us to, um, but being courageous in the things he is leading us to, but always prayerfully recognizing um, the Holy Spirit is doing things I'm not aware of and he's just allowing me a partnership in it. So I need to 
humbly have a comfort with that partnership. That's beautifully said. Yeah. I think sometimes we can put so much onus on ourselves. Like if this person, you know, isn't saved from their sin, it's my fault. I had my chance and I blew it or, you know, whatever it may be. Right. Right. Yeah. All right, Sean, my last one is just eagerness. You know, I kind of hinted that earlier, but this having uh, a preparedness and seeing when, oh, the circumstances are right. I'll have a chance to, you know, even just give it a nugget of mm-hmm. something that, that makes, makes me tick something that, you know, uh, that, that, that hope that is within me, that life that is within me, you know, and it doesn't always have to be a full presentation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But, um, um, little things here and there that sometimes somebody can give us a window. We'd say the Holy spirit giving us a window to share, um, and, uh, just being excited to do so. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd say eagerness is my last one. Nice. Great. Okay, friends, we are at the end for sure. Sean, we've been doing this four years, <laughs> yep. 91 episodes. That's right. 91. I know people at home are like, you couldn't have done nine more to get to three <laughs> digits. I get it. I totally get that. Yeah. Um, Sean, I, I had mentioned maybe we could just share a couple, you know, memories, reflections. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was, it was a fun exercise for me. I, I'll say, uh, some of the things, you know, going on behind the scenes. <laughs> I remember a couple of years ago, so so our listeners should know that when we um, come in, ready to, you know, we both come in, prepared to, to record, we usually sit down, um, usually just small talk for a bit, and then we'll say, okay, make sure the outlines line up, and I'm going to go this, and you're doing the intro, and I'm doing that. And then we'll just say a prayer together, and we, you know, share some intentions. We'll do in our Father. <laughs> And then you and I, for a while, um, we had um, a gentleman's disagreement about when we should say. <laughs> so we made St. Augustine our, our patron saint in the podcast. But listeners, I want you to think about this for a second. When you ask for a saint intercession, do you do it before you end with the sign of the cross or after? So, for instance, we ask this to Christ our Lord, you know, amen. St. Augustine, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or we ask this to Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Augustine, pray for us. So you were the latter. You would say, St. Augustine, after the sign of the cross. And I, at one point, I was like, Sean, come on. What was this? What, what, what are we even doing here? You got to do it before the sign of the cross. <laughs> I remember we had a fun time. I think we polled a couple people and whatnot. But, um, and Sean, now, I'll, to be fair, I had been accustomed to that because of my grad school professors doing it that way okay so and that is that i'm sure he had some street cred for sure but <laughs> um and sean i just wanted to say too um i have been thankful that um you really make me laugh is your uh i think i mentioned on a podcast a couple years ago i feel like i'm easily amused you know what i mean something would be said and and i would just burst into laughter and and I didn't want I didn't want listeners to think that was just a put on, but like you genuinely make me laugh. You kind of a dry sense of humor, and and um, you're very smart too. So it, it was always some upper level humor, and I felt like if I can get Sean's jokes, I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> and then Sean, just the last thing, um, I've always I, we found a good, I think, um, a good pattern in our podcast the last couple of years where we, where we realized that. We'd pick a topic, and then usually it was best for me to take a part of that topic, say everything I knew, and then turn it over to you. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. just when I think, all right, well, I think I know everything there is to know about you know this, 
And then I would realize in the middle of our podcast, I'm like, oh, okay, Sean's Sean's going next level here. So <laughs> um, I have just learned so much from you. So um, it's it's been it's been a real pleasure. So yeah, I appreciate that. I have to say that the most fun I had, uh, we had a, a handful of episodes where we do kind of like a like a quiz show type <laughs> format. Uh, those were those were a lot of fun, especially the ones where. Um, there were like multiple questions, uh-huh. um, and so uh, the 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 experience of seeing your wheels turn, and <laughs> and and also and also just like uh, I was I was really really impressed with um, your genuineness and like not being embarrassed by maybe not knowing the answers or, or, yeah. or getting the answers wrong or something like that. Because uh, so, I remember there was one. Where um, you tricked me on something. I was like, oh, man, I can't believe I can't believe he got me. And uh, yeah, that, 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 t- <laughs> that took an amount, amount of emotional energy to be like not mad at myself. <laughs> so in fairness to you, I remember I remember it was kind of a gotcha question. It was almost like a trick question. Was like, oh, yeah, because I think it was about the beer. Remember we talked about the beer fast. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And I said something about, um, you know, something it being German monks or something like that. And, and basically it was one of those dumb tricks where like, Oh, they weren't French. They were German. Gotcha. Right. Right. And yeah. I feel like either right then or, or another time you were like, man, I hate questions <laughs> like that. Those trick ones. You always, you know, and I was like, Ooh, whoops. It's <laughs> exactly what I did to you. No, I think, I think it was actually, it was, it was as we were like prepping that day huh. and we were talking about quizzes. I think I said that to you. So I don't know if like in the aftermath of that, when you did that to me, then after the after recording, I was like, oh, I hope you didn't feel bad about that because, like, I said right at the beginning that it drives me nuts when instructors would do that because I mean, it was it was fine for a little game show, but but like in academics, I just yeah. feel like that's not teaching anyone anything. Right. That's just trying to show that you're superior to them. Right? <laughs> so 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 he showed that he was superior to me, <laughs> but that's okay. I have so little opportunity. I had to I had to jump on it. The so. other one was the Giuseppe, and with what was. So oh, it was yeah. it was the different the different names for St. Joseph. And the thing about Giuseppe was like I knew a Giuseppe in college. Really? Here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, and then and the moment the moment you said Giuseppe I was like, "Oh my goodness, how could I forget?" <laughs> yeah, so I think the context of our call was like name all the different names for Joseph in different languages. Right, right. And most of them were either Joseph or Joseph. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you, you couldn't get the Italian one, the Giuseppe. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Yeah. And then other things that were just, you know, we had a lot of fun like with creativity from time to time of just, you know, trying to trying to shake things up and not just have a, a normal back and forth, but have, you know, different different things. And I mm-hmm. and I this wasn't really this was kind of more something that I just did on my own, but but the Halloween episodes where I recorded all the sounds that was a lot of fun. To that do. was yeah. So yeah. Well, even the game show stuff, you'd have the yeah the that, buzzer, you'd sneak in there. I appreciated that. Although I couldn't tell how annoying that was <laughs> to the audience. <laughs> I think I think the very last one I I just didn't I didn't add that in there. The, the last one we recorded. That's why people didn't listen to that one as much, I guess. <laughs> And we should just um, thank our listeners, especially those of you who've been with us uh, from the, the the very beginning. Um, we've gone through a lot of topics in our in our four years. So uh, hope you learned something. Hope you had some good laughs with us. Hope you have a great appreciation for uh, '80s culture and '90s music now uh, because of um, all of our, our our banter, which seemed to be mostly '80s stuff as we go. <laughs> but uh, want to thank our um, Alums, students, uh, anybody who's supported us along the way, 
thank Father Lampett for um, really being a cheerleader for this podcast, especially early on. So, um, yeah, friends, from Sean and Heath, Bearded Wisdom, signing off. Thanks for listening. Have a great summer. Last word. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you if you wanted me to edit out what I said so that yours could be the final thing. (laughs) Because I didn't know if I messed you up. I didn't be like, man, this is like walking on the moon. I said the last thing. Don't add anything else. From Sean and Heath, Bearded Wisdom, signing off.